It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who is in a rather sunny and pleasant Bay Area. Today we are joined by writer and journo Emma Burnell in London. We have Mick Wright, the editor of The Conquest of the Useless, the media criticism newsletter in Norwich in the UK. Clint Losey, he's the ex-Capital Hill staffer in Washington who knows all about a good bakery. Eric Marcus from the Making Gay History podcast decided to join us. He's in New York. We have political pundit and uh, the ex-deputy head of policy for the Liberal Democrats in London. He goes by the name of Steve O'Neill. We're joined on stage by James Fletcher, political gun for hire and the producer of the film The Accidental President. And we have the Doctor Who fan and political wonk Mike Holton in Burnley. In a week that has seen how difficult it is for superheroes to get loans. We look at the conundrum that is the passing of gun legislation in the US. We know of uh, 10 fatalities uh, at the scene, including one of our Boulder PD officers. This suspect has been identified as Ahmad Alyssa, 21 of Arvada. He has been charged with 10 counts of murder in the first degree and will be shortly transported to Boulder County Jail. This is real horror and terror for all of us. The simple act of, of shopping in a grocery store. This cannot be our new normal. We should be able to feel safe in our grocery stores. We should be able to feel safe in our schools, in our movie theaters, and in our communities. It's tragic. It's absolutely tragic. Um, it's tragic. Uh, 10 people um, going about their day, living their lives, not bothering anybody. It's tragic. It's tragic. Thoughts and prayers are not enough. And yet, thoughts and prayers is all we have heard from my colleagues on the other side. 
I don't apologize for thoughts or prayers. I will lift up in prayer people who are hurting, and I believe in the power of prayer, and the contempt of Democrats for prayers is an odd sociological thing. The fact that guns are lawful products with legitimate uses must not stop us from taking action to reduce gun deaths. After two deadly shootings in under a week, we had uh, Atlanta and then Boulder, Colorado, which have not rocked the nation. What should the Democrats do to convince Republicans and all bits of the public that the country is in need of robust gun control legislation? Clint Losey, over to you. Uh, you know, that's a, a difficult question because we've been grappling with it for so, so, so long. If there were an obvious answer, it, it would have been come upon by now. But this is kind of the first time the Democrats have been in a, in a position of power, uh, not, not complete power, uh, where they could do something about it, but, but the first time in a while that they've been in, um, control of the government, um, and they could pass meaningful legislation. It's going to be hard for them though, because it is such a, uh, a motivating issue for, uh, for the right that no matter how tame, um, the, uh, the democratic proposal for gun control or, and, you know, not even gun control, you know, I'm talking, you know, very, 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 very smallish reforms, even on the scale of what's necessary, um, or what most people support, uh, is, it's going to be turned around on them in, in the most ludicrous terms by, by the Republicans, uh, about the Democrats coming to take your guns. And that's not a good faith argument by the Republicans, but it's such an effective argument by the Republicans to their base that they're not going to, be able to resist using it. And so I think that that's going to really corrode the situation, no matter how careful uh, the Democrats are in, in terms of how they craft this and how they try to sell it to the American people, where gun control is actually pretty popular among most people. Um, shootings have never stopped during the pandemic. Uh, 2020 was the deadliest gun violence year in decades. Last year, gun violence killed nearly 20,000 Americans, according to data from the Gun violence archive and an additional 24,000 people died by suicide with a gun. Uh, one recent study from the Educational Fund to Stop Gun Violence uh, called Gun Violence a Public Health Crisis Decades in the Making. Eric, if the country can't agree whether to wear masks in the face of the pandemic, is it any surprise that it can't tackle gun violence? No, no surprise at all. Um, it seems in so many ways completely hopeless um, I think the one hope is for the Democrats to get rid of the uh, filibuster and pass gun legislation. I don't think any Republicans will uh, ultimately support this. They'll, they'll hem and haw about it, some of them anyway. But you, you could have written all of the articles that, that, that have appeared, at least here in the New York Times and the Daily News. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And uh, uh, I, don't, I don't hold out a lot of hope. Um, I'm just glad that here in New York City, at least we have strong gun laws, but you know, there are borders. It's like trying to control COVID by just inoculating one city or state. Uh, Clint, um, Eric mentioned the filibuster. Uh, give us the history of the filibuster. Uh, why did it come about? Um, why is it now being uh, seen as being overused as a way of gumming up the works in terms of legislation? And what maneuverability is there around this? And how might it then unlock gun control legislation? Uh, yeah, I'll try and be brief on the history um, portion of this. But essentially, in the House of Representatives, um, there, there is uh, absolute uh, majority rule. Uh, but in the Senate, you have the filibuster. And, and that's based on the principle that 
in the Senate, you want to encourage debate, you want to foster cooperation um, and consultation and uh, uh, consensus. And the way you do that is by giving every member of the Senate um, the unlimited right to debate. Uh, and so, you know, this is the idea that we're not done talking. And so if we're not done talking, we can't move to a vote. Um, there have been a lot of different forms of the filibuster over the years. Um, it has, in fact, been used um, for uh, to prevent civil rights legislation um, in, in uh, you know, a century ago and whatnot. It, it did used to be a talking filibuster where you had to stand up and, um, you know, make a speech or, or read a phone book or, or basically just run out the clock. But it, it was changed several decades ago that a, a very small number of senators could simply sign uh, a petition in the Senate, um, a formal petition, say, we're not done talking yet. And at that point, you needed 60 votes in the in the Senate out of 100 um, to close debate and end it. So it actually empowers a very small number of senators. I think it's 14 to, um, to, to put everything on hold. And then, you know, you have to get 60 over the line. So even if there are a lot of, uh, a lot of members who, who might not stand in the way, they have other people who are going to lay down on the tracks for them and, and they're not going to help, um, the other party really get over that hump. Biden says that he hasn't started counting votes in the Senate when he was asked about the daunting prospects of any uh, gun control legislation, believing that he should work with Democrats and Republicans to get the work done for the American people. Uh, I mean, he calls this kind of common sense gun safety measures. If he could get a bipartisan bill through the Senate, would this be the most consequential bill since civil rights legislation in the 1960s, considering how divisive the issue is for all Americans. Eric Marcus. I'm here, my hands are like that. <laughs> I had my phone in my pocket and I was just actually um, folding up aluminum foil, this is, uh, which I'm, I'm uh, uh, threading around my rosebush in front of my house to get Eric, sparrows attacked. I, I, I yes, demand yes. your full attention only once a week. <laughs> Well, you haven't seen the sparrows attacking my rosebush, pulling, pulling all the leaves off. So it's a desperate moment. So I'm multitasking. But I don't know if it would be the most, it would not be the most consequential since, since civil rights legislation. Um, uh, and I also don't think it'll be bipartisan. I just don't think it will happen because it's not in the interest of the Republicans currently in the Senate to do anything about it. So, and when Biden says he wants to work with people, that's because uh, he does, or he wants to work across the aisle. But also, all the polls show that, the, that we all want a president who says he will work across the aisle. But what counts in the end is getting things done. And the majority of the American people, Republicans and Democrats together, think that there should be more restrictions on guns. If you have to register your car and get a license to drive a car and have insurance, why shouldn't you have that as well for a gun? Um, I, I'm a strong believer in, in what the framers uh, said about guns and gun rights. I think you should be allowed to own as many muskets as you would like. Period. Josephine, you raised your hand. Uh... Hi. Yeah, I just wanted to um, agree with Eric and sort of take issue with the framing of that question um, because this is definitely, I mean, if something does get passed, it's there's no way it's going to be the most consequential legislation in civil rights. Um, so <laughs> I just, I, I don't think that that was um, a great question um, because, you know, the Civil Rights Act, I think 1965, um, was one of the most monumental things to ever happen to the U.S. It's akin to the abolition of slavery. We're talking about the end of an apartheid system. Um, whereas when we, t and I'm not saying that I don't care about gun rights, to be clear. Um, it's the fact that 
gun rights are actually inscribed to some extent into our constitution and the second amendment. And so uh, the question becomes, well, what exactly are the rights? Is it a collective or an individual right? And so that's actually a question of legal interpretation. And um, sorry, I just don't know like to what extent you're like aware of all this debate, but um, even if something is passed, there are limits on um, you know, what exactly Congress can legislate. So um, it's okay for there to be like restrictions and a ban on assault weapons and high capacity magazines. But if you were to completely ban like all guns, that would be um, unconstitutional. So, I mean, <laughs> I don't know exactly like where you were going with that question, but like number one, it wouldn't be more consequential than the Civil Rights Act period. Um, number two, uh, around 1994, we already did have um, a presidential ban on assault weapons. So it wouldn't actually be new at all. But that uh, expired uh, after 10 years. And I, as, as a wedge issue, um, I think that guns are emblematic of the problem with American politics, that it's incredibly tribal. Uh, with the gun issue, not only do you have um, 20,000 Americans year in, year out uh, dying at, at, the, at the wrong end of these weapons, but it is culturally and politically a wedge issue. Now, is it more consequential than civil rights legislation? I didn't say that. I said, would it be as, you know, the, the, the most consequential thing since? And I think viewed in terms of the partisan divide around guns and the symbolism of guns, this would be a, a, this would be a seismic uh, breaking of the, the logjam around it if a, signif a small but sig significant amount of Republicans would sign up to uh, some level of gun legislation. Yeah, I agree that it would be seismic and it would have an important effect on gun sales. And I also think, I don't think this has actually been said yet, but it's important that we recognize that during the pandemic, um, many people actually went out and bought loads of guns in the U.S., which is really scary. Um, there's been, you know, this polarization, just as in the U.K., you know, politically, um, plus you get guns. So, I mean, obviously, it's as scary as it can be, and it's very important that they pass something. I just was taking issue with the framing of the question because I just I don't think it's fair to compare that to civil rights. And that's fine. We can move forward. I just wanted to make that point. No, I, I didn't compare it. I say it's the most consequential bits of legislation since. And there has been Roe versus Wade. So, I, I, you know, somewhat it was thrown in hyperbole. But I do think at the heart of what I was saying is that this would be a, a weakening of the wedge issue, the cultural totemic issue of the, the power of the gun and the Second Amendment, and whether, as Eric kind of said, when it was framed, this was for uh, a militia, hence a musket, not AK-47s with uh, the capacity of, of a modern soldier to mow down you know, tens of dozens of people at an instant. Uh, Dan, you held your hand up, sir, uh, so this is your time to speak. Unmute yourself. Hey, I appreciate you. I saw this room, gun control in the U.S., so I thought I would hop in. Um, just because I'm curious about the conversation and um, all the point of views. I mean, I can share my point of view um, quickly and respectfully. I'm 
absolutely pro um, Second Amendment, pro gun. I'm a firearm owner, um, and even it's, the timing is hilarious because just yesterday, our business was at a live fire gun range recording and using firearms of every single caliber. And so, within 12 hours, I've shot every caliber of gun you can pretty much imagine. So, I'm just curious about um, maybe the other point of view on um like like why i would i would love to know like why people think we need more gun control i i, I want to genuinely know why okay um I'll, I'll quickly chime in with that and then i think we should go back to our two uh american pundits and then we'll throw this out to uh to, to the brits here purely from a british perspective from a non-american perspective i'm somebody who spent a lot of time in in canada so similarly a frontier country that shares a lot of the same cultural beats that america does Twenty thousand canadians don't die each year at the wrong end of a gun ditto the same in britain australia germany france italy you name it every industrially advanced liberal democracy doesn't have this public health slaughter that happens in America. And these are countries that historically have been able to safeguard the individuality, the the rights of the citizen against the state. So if the if the point of Americans having um free access to guns is that it safeguards their individual liberty. I put it to you, uh, Dan, that Canadians are similarly as free. Us Brits are. Ditto Germans, Italians, the Japanese, etc. Now, are there historical, cultural, geographic reasons why Americans um, should have guns? Yes, it's part of your culture. But where mental health issues and gun ownership overlap we should be able to have in america because i'm sat in america right now um, a robust debate which says that people who obviously have um, issues of violence a predisposition towards it and have mental health issues they do not need and should not have access to guns right if you want to hunt that's another thing completely um, so that's where I would come at it from. Um, Eric Marcus, you're red-blooded American. Tell Dan why you believe that there should be some level of uh, gun safety legislation. I'm going to come at it from the, the side of uh, suicide. I used to work for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, and the majority, if I remember correctly, the majority of, of gun deaths in the U.S. every year are suicides. Yeah, there was 24,000 uh, last year. Yeah. So, um, so that's a, a fundamental problem. How do you keep guns out of the hands of people who are, who are in danger of killing themselves? So at the very least, uh, we know from studies already that if you uh, require a two-week cooling off period or two-week waiting period before you can pick up your gun, it would have a dramatic impact on the number of suicides because suicide is so often an impulsive act. So what's wrong with doing that? You can't wait for a gun for two weeks. Um, and really great that Dan and all of his, his colleagues were shooting every caliber gun. It makes me think, oh, you're such a tough guy, as are all of your friends. So great for you and great for all the people who buy guns and then shoot themselves. I'm just disgusted by people who take the view that there shouldn't be any gun uh, 
uh, any any regulations regarding guns. You shouldn't have a car either. Well, I can appreciate the uh, the vitriol from Eric. No, I'm just you know I have dealt with well, so many people. Right, I have dealt right. with Eric, 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 Eric. Let let okay, I'll let you go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Respectfully, any any time anyone wants to speak, I will let you speak. I won't interrupt you by no means. And um, again, by no means, I didn't claim to be a tough guy. I don't. If anything, I would I would say that the that the you know having a home defense weapon is the opposite. Because I'm not a tough guy, yeah, that's a whole other um, debate we could have on being able to protect my family. Um, uh, uh, Dan, I, I I appreciate that, and also I appreciate that um, you know you want to enter into a, a conversation with us. It, it, it's not by accident that yeah, uh, I, I think, think so. the vast majority of people on this stage are going to believe there should be some level of gun legislation, gun control, gun safety, whatever you know, the, the euphemism is um, in America. Yeah. Why do you think that Canada, Britain, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, Ethiopia, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Russia, uh, you name it, Chad, do not have the amount of deaths, civilian deaths, citizen deaths, year in, year out, that America does? Well, I would I would say first a few things. One, send me the stats and let me read it because I'm always willing to learn. So uh, I can't uh, speak on Dan, anything that Dan, I don't know. Dan, yeah, honestly, yeah. go Google yeah. this. Right. And I'm going to yeah. take out uh, South America. Uh, I will take out. Okay, hold on. for one second though. I mean, I've been trying to speak. Eric, you cut me off. Okay, though. sorry. That's so true. You cut That's me true. off. Everyone's on, cutting Dan, me no. off, and I get Dan, it because I'm the guy. I apologize. Dan, I apologize. Go for it, sir. Okay. To speak to Eric's point real quick about the tough guy thing. Eric, my business is music and sound Dan, let's move on from that. Let's move on from that. I closed Eric down on that. You just let the guy speak. Stop over it. Yeah. Thank you, Emma. We were just recording sound effects. That's what we do. So, Eric, that's it. We were there. We need all the calibers because we supply sound effects, the TV shows, movies, and trailers. That's it. So that's oh, I, I, I apologize. Okay. I apologize. I'm not. I'm only interrupting to apologize. It's fine. So, okay. I know how hot button this stuff gets on people. I get it. I just want to give maybe my perspective on the whole firearm, like pro Second Amendment, very American kind of thing, if I can, for like a minute and a half. Is that cool? You've got the floor. Okay, I listen. I'm 38. I'm about a buck 65. I've worked myself literally to death, so totally atrophied. I'm I'm working on getting in shape. Um, I have a, a, a 110 pound wife. I have a 13 year old son. I come from St. Louis, which is the murder capital of the United States. And as you said, go Google it. You can go Google that. I had an experience where my wife turned to me one night, two, three in the morning and said, I think someone's in the house. Really happened. And I reached right over to my 40 caliber handgun, which I've trained with under law enforcement, not being braggadocious. I've shot 10,000 rounds through that gun. Okay. I loaded around the chamber, went downstairs. Had the gun drawn. The back door was open. 
So here I am, small guy, not in great shape, not super strong. Here's my wife. Here's my son sleeping. And the door to our home was open. I opened the basement door. I looked down the steps. And sure enough, I can hear something in our basement. True story. Now, if you go down the steps, you could turn left. I can't see what's right. If I turn right, I can't see what's left. But with my 40 caliber handgun, I was able to yell down those steps and say, I'm coming down. Don't move. And I yell it to my wife and I say, call the police. Police are at the house. Took them about nine to ten minutes to get there. But I had my family protected instantly. Now, I will. here's what I'll say. I 100% agree with everything I heard. Common sense gun laws. Yep, 100%. Cooling off periods. 100%. Some states have FOID cards. If you're hip to those, 100%. Some states make you um, have, you know, uh, mad capacity limits. All that. I'm with you guys 110 percent, a thousand percent, however percent you want. I'll meet you at the door. But to take away the law abiding guy, the ability to protect his family, that seems silly. Last point I'm making, it's super short. I agree with you that there should be these things in place. There should be these common sense gun laws in place. But guys, what we're talking about is putting things in place where the law-abiding people will follow. Because I would follow too. But criminals are called criminals. Coming from the guy who's built his whole career in true crime, criminals don't follow the law. So even if we put it in place, doesn't matter. That's all I'll say. Thank you guys for letting me speak. I mean, if I can jump in here, I, um, I I don't disagree with Dan on on you know people owning guns for self defense and and for sport and whatnot. Uh, I I think that as he pointed out that like there can be reasonable uh, measures there, uh, insurance, training, whatnot. And I don't think anyone's really talking about taking guns away though. Like this is a, a long term project. This is something that is going to take decades to to get through. Um, and I, you know, when we look at just how disproportionately the United States uh, is affected by gun deaths um, and injuries, uh, both both uh, from violence and uh, suicide, it's so much higher than anywhere else uh, in our peer countries, you know, that, that kind of look like us economically and socially. Um, and I mean, I think that we can go and 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 you know, kind of proceed down this path in a way that targets criminals and that, you know, yeah, without um, undermining law abiding, you know, responsible gun owners. But like, yeah, it's going to have to be work that everybody does. And I, I think it's a little bit, um, you know, kind of stonewalling to say, well, we can't do anything just in case it inconveniences lawful gun owners. In the UK, you can legally own a firearm, right? There are a range of firearms that you can you can legally own for target shooting, for, for hunting, for various other things, right? But in, in 1996, when a man went into a primary school and, and, and shot a whole class of children and their teacher, we brought in a, a ban on um, high-capacity handguns. We restricted the way handguns could be bought and sold in the UK, right? Which is really seriously that children had been murdered, right? When Sandy Hook happened, the NRA, the, the, the gun lobby, uh, went down this line, the line that, we, that we're kind of talking about now of saying, they're coming for your guns. Don't let them ban your guns, right? So the shootings of the past couple of weeks, I don't believe anything will change from those because America was not pushed to change 
when, you know, 25 kids were murdered in their school. Small, you know, small children. So the other thing I would say is, listen, uh, criminals get guns in the UK too, but it's much, much harder because the general um, pool of accessible firearms is much narrower, right? It's very hard. Like, guns come across Europe. You know, assault weapons do make their way into the UK, but in very small numbers. And the the notion that we are not safe here uh, in our homes is false. Um, and or nor that we are not safe because we don't have a particularly uh, heavily armed police. The, the, what happens is the more guns you pump into a culture, the more dangerous it is for everyone. The, the, the feeling that you need a gun because, you know, the best thing to defeat uh, a person with a gun is a person with a gun. Um, that mentality that comes from living within a culture where guns have inculcated the entire culture. That is the damaging thing. That's why you feel you need a gun to defend yourself, because the society is awash with guns. Right. And the UK just isn't because we don't we see that it's not necessary for private citizens to have access to, to you know, um, <laughs> what are weapons of war in the end? So that's that's where we are here in the UK. That's where we're far fewer deaths. And that's why we take it very seriously. And for me, it was a heartbreaker to watch that the, the death of small children, the, the murder of small children at Sandy Hook didn't change things. And if that didn't change things, very few things would. Hmm. I think I understand much more coming from the UK and moving to California some that for many Americans, uh, a gun is part of their culture. It's something which I didn't understand before, but viscerally I do. When I travel around America, um, I don't have many friends that go hunting, I ha- but I have one or two. Um, I've spent time in Louisiana, in the Deep South, etc. So I understand there is a cultural difference between um, a typical Western European view on on firearms and um, an American view. I understand that. So I understand, Dan, that uh, culturally, this is much more of a a totem of America and freedom uh, that, as I said, uh, many other non-Americans just don't quite get because we don't don't have the historical uh, familiarity with, with guns. What I would say, though, Dan, is that Americans should be able to talk about some level of gun control without people instinctively and reflexively thinking they're coming for my gun. Um, the the fact that you are a law-abiding citizen, um, I, 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 utterly, I utterly believe you, but we should be able to stop um, criminals, people who have a history of using firearms for felonies, who are purveyors of domestic violence, we should be able to stop them from buying them privately and through, you know, state fairs, etc. That isn't coming after you, a lawful citizen, holding a firearm. Dan. I appreciate everything you're saying and agree. Um, and I don't think anyone is coming after me or my guns. But, so um, my, well, hold on. My question would be, since I agree with you, 100% agree with you, how how do you prevent criminals from obtaining 
firearms illegally? Or for Eric, how do you prevent someone who wants to commit suicide anyway, even if they can't get a gun? There's how do you prevent them from committing suicide? You can never prevent it a hundred percent, right? But in a situation where it's far, far, where it is very easy for people to access guns, it, again, what we were talking about there is it, the 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 where that question is coming from is you're coming from an all or nothing perspective of saying, well, well, we we can't stop criminals from accessing guns. We can make it a lot harder. Again, we made it a lot harder How? for How criminals to access guns. Well, I can, I can, that, give, I, I can. In the, but in the ways that, in the ways that Royfield just said, stopping, uh, you know, reducing the ability to make for private sales at state fairs, you know, requiring registration, lots of things. There are many, many okay, ways. Okay, let me it. ask a question. Have you guys, like, have okay, you guys ever been? I'm going to quickly just jump in just for one minute, just to say that this is going to be the last point. This one second, because we have one hour, Emma, Emma, we have one hour. And we haven't got to the UK, so this is going to I be don't the care. last I want point. To say something. You can. I'm just saying this is going to be the 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 last point, right? So Dan, you can have the right of reply. Then Emmy, you can wrap up, and we have to move on because we only have an hour, and we need to do the UK. So go for it, Dan. And real quick, so I again agree with you about the uh, gun sales at the fairs. I've been to them, trade shows. I've been to all of that stuff. But guys, I'm also from the ghettos of North St. Louis. I am from the hood, grew up poor, watched them switch hands in the streets. So my question is, it's, it's again, I ask how, the how is the, is the key. It's very easy to talk about something that you've never seen. I'm not saying you haven't, that maybe someone has never seen with their own two eyes. I agree with you, but how is the question? How? Emma? Here's the thing, right? During the pandemic, violence against women went up by 60%. There were previously two women killed by in intimate, pilot, intimate partner violence every week in the UK. Now it's gone up to three. There are three women killed a day in intimate, pilot, uh, intimate partner violence in the US. One of the reasons that I am absolutely delighted that we don't have guns in homes as a regular occurrence over here is can you imagine how much worse those statistics would be? If you talk about keeping your family safe, you mean safe from external threats, but that gun statistically in your home is much more likely to be a threat to your family, either through a suicidal ideation or accidents. There are much more gun accidents than there are shootings of intruders. And the third thing I'd say is taking your side, because I think the thing is, is that you have come in here, we're really respectful, we're not brilliant at not talking over each other, so don't take that personally, because you'll have heard me and Royfield, we go at it. Um, and Mick and Royfield go at it, and me and Mick go at it. Um, the Americans think we're all mental, but, you know, we're, we're just... I think it's really important that when you did come in here, we didn't talk over you, and that's why I got cross about that, because this will only happen as a how really starts with these conversations um personally i would take every gun i I would go house to house but i know that ain't gonna happen but the house starts with these conversations it probably starts with these um the places where you've agreed with us like um you know two-week cooling off period stuff like that i think you know this is only ever going to be done gradually but i just wanted i think it's really important as the only um female presenter voice i know that we've got lovely josephine who was speaking to us earlier from the audience, that we mentioned the fact that the epidemic we have now 
of domestic violence would be so much more deadly if we had guns in our homes in this country. I've just been texting with a soldier friend of mine who was in special forces. And I said to him, how many rounds do you think you shot in, in initial training? And he said half a million. And what his point is, we've just been back and forth. And to be very good with a gun, which most police are not, which most private citizens are not, takes a hell of a lot of training. And going and buying a gun is one thing, but knowing how to seriously use it, not pointing at a piece of paper, but in a live environment where you might actually kill someone is a very, very different skill. And I have, it's not only the owning the guns, it's the proficiency with which you use them. Roy Field, can I also make one point just um, about how to do this? And I, I promise to be very quick, is that there, there are ways to do this. And we can look at a number of other countries that have done it from, um, you know, how the UK has done it to buybacks in Australia. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is that there are thousands and thousands of people in the United States working on this professionally. Um, and and they are coming up with ideas for how to do this, how to create incentives, how to create um, programs, how to create um, avenues for guns to get out of hands um, and, and off the streets and, you know, how to deal with the criminal element and all of that, too. So, like, the idea that there aren't how to do this um, answers out there um, is is not true. They, they are out there, and it's just a matter of um, finding ways to to actually get them in place, the, the political will to get them in place. But they do absolutely exist. Thank you for that, Clint. And Dan, uh, we want you to remain on stage. And I, I would like to just uh, echo what Emma says. Uh, we appreciate you coming into our room and uh, coming up on stage and defending your viewpoint. And I uh, also appreciate that uh, you are not saying that we were locks up uh kind of rapidly um again against guns per se and um, and i think that there is um a lot of room uh for people who are pro pro gun but also pro gun safety actually to to come together and you and you've shown that with with your answers uh, we're going to move on to the uk new guidance will require all government buildings in england wales and scotland to fly the union flag it started a debate as to whether un the Union flag or the Union Jack, Emma, um, is divisive or inclusive. Um, why has Downing Street set up the Union unit? Uh, we haven't heard from you, uh, Mike. Um, you're up there in, in the north of England, one of these red wall seats. Um, why don't you tell us about the Union unit and flying the flag? Uh, well, it's... Um... It, it seemed a, a, a kind of crazy week and a half in, in the UK that suddenly, um, well, the, the reason behind the union unit is because, uh, at least from my, is that uh, Boris Johnson and uh, the government are scared witless that Scotland is going to uh, vote for independence fairly quickly if the um, elections in, uh, in May uh, go towards the SNP. Um, I don't really think that the imposing uh, union flags on buildings in Scotland is likely to help the cause of unionism, to be honest, because um, I suspect uh, there was, a, there was a, uh, a statement from yesterday that they're going to allow dual flags on government buildings. So if you wish to have dual flags, you can, but one of them must be the union flag. 
I don't think there's anything said about the, the relative sizes of those two flags. So I suspect you may find Scottish government buildings with a very large salt iron and a very small Union Jack. Um, the, the thing that's, that's come uh, very strongly is, is the flag has been appropriated by um, certain factions in the government. Uh, as, uh, as, as, um, it's almost as if they've stolen it to show their um, uh, uh, patriotism. Now, patriotism for me as a, as a Brit is uh, making sure I stay in my place in the, the bus queue, complaining about the weather, uh, and shouting at the TV. It's not carrying a Union Jack above my head and walking through the streets, but it is for some. Now, um, a particular MP uh, for North Norfolk, uh, I believe it was me, um, took the head of the BBC to task this week because their annual report didn't have enough Union Jacks in it, which is an insane uh, concept. Everybody knows the, the BBC. I know from where you are, Royfield, you, you see a lot of BBC output. Um, and it's it's world famous for the quality of its broadcast and the quality of its output. But the, the output was doesn't need even the Union better. Jack stapling to the front, does it? Mike, the, the output would be even better with the Union Jack. Uh, here is a little bit of the current <laughs> debate in the UK. The Union Jack um, or Union flag is to be flown on all UK government buildings every day mm. in a bid to unite the nation. Yeah, new guidance from the Department of Digital, Culture, Media and Sport suggests that instead of flying only on special days, the Union flag should be flown at all times. But is it a sign of unity and patriotism or does it divide us even more? Join us. Joining us to discuss this is political commentator Dominique Samuels and Guardian columnist Owen Jones. Very uh, good morning to both of you. Morning. Morning. Uh, Dominic, let's come to you first. Uh, you have no issue with the government buildings all displaying the flag? You think this is a, a good thing, a long time coming? Yeah, I mean, I'm not here to defend the ins and outs of the Conservative government, but I do think that it's about time. Uh, so many other countries do this. Um, and I believe that, the, you know, the flag is a symbol of national identity. It's a social glue um, that brings people together. And it's only right um, that we identify it. And I think that, you know, you can't complete this, uh, you can't completely separate this from some of the sneering that we see, and um, for particularly those on the left. And they sneer at um, patriotism. They make fun of it. And I think it's only right that it's normalised. And, you know, personally for me, as someone who comes from um, a black and mixed race background, um, I see the flag and I believe it's a representation of who I am, um, of where I'm from. And it's only right that we seek to normalise it. Let's make patriotism popular again. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honouring highly requested new colours for the award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Steve, surely it's a little bit sad that uh, government buildings uh, being asked to routinely fly the national flag is something new something or even something worthy of a headline discussed yeah i'm with um dominique from that clip really i think that um we have a habit or some on the left i think have a habit of demonizing um the union jack and british patriotism um and assuming it is the sort of uh ground for the far right it's not most people in britain are patriotic actually i've seen some interesting stats that um uh, people from ethnic minorities are more patriotic than um white british people I think we should be using pride in our country to bring people together. And and I'm pretty relaxed when I'm flying the flag. I agree with Mike. It's probably not going to help in terms of keeping the union together. That's going to take a lot more. I'll quickly hold hold my hand up in this debate and utterly declare my position on this. Um, being black, uh, being brought up in the 70s and the 80s, uh, the Union Jack was seen as... Uh, to to me and to people from my culture has been something which actually did mean nationalism uh, but also meant xenophobia people were waving flags around us basically were telling my father and mother to to go back home my personal epiphany with really it's the flag of saint george and then the union jack uh came with supporting the england football team around about 1990 that's when you have uh, many ethnic minority communities being much more relaxed about it because we could overtly uh, support support England uh, playing football. So for me, uh, I'm pretty relaxed about it, but I do have um, some sneaking kind of lefty sensibilities around it, which when I come to America, I'm always quite proud in the fact that in Britain, we don't go in for flag waving because I, for me, it's almost like the American way of being overtly nationalistic and waving the stars and the stripes feels somewhat emotionally brittle. In Britain, we don't have to do that. In England and Scotland, we don't really have to do that. We know who we are and our cultural s- symbols are, as, as Mike kind of alluded to, moaning about the weather, praising the NHS and kind of just like, you know, and liking a, a cup of tea. So I'm pretty relaxed about the Union Jack, but I don't want it everywhere. And it always surprises me when I see so much of it in the US. It's not that people can be allowed to celebrate the flag and shouldn't be allowed to fly the flag. It's people being told that they have to fly the flag. Mm. If they don't, then it's because they're not British enough. And a point well, well made. James, jump well, in. Well, so, yeah, I mean, on, on this take, this is like a scene uh, from the thick of it. I can imagine some ludicrous meeting in the in the Parliament of Culture, Media and Sport on a Monday morning where they went around the table asking for ideas how to keep the union together. And one daft meeting led to this edict. I mean, as you say, the flag of St. George had its own associations. But 
you think of the Bond movies, you think of the Olympics, you think of sport per se, that's when the, the flag comes out. It's not seen as a nationalistic totem, I don't think. Um, and in the USA, if you've ever seen photos of, of a citizenship ceremony, people from all over the world, all nationalities, all backgrounds, all races, are very proudly waving the American flag. And you'll see, as you go through neighborhoods all across America, not just, you know, picket fences and the, and the cliche neighborhoods, but you will see it as a very, very widely used uh, emblem and people are proud to belong. So I don't have an issue with it at all. But I think that I think to your original question, the idea of telling government departments and particularly in Scot in Scotland, where it's just going to wind them up, that this is somehow going to be a, a way of keeping the union together is just completely laughable. So I, I sort of take have two different opinions on it, I guess. Uh, the wind up is the what? point. The wind up is exactly why they're doing it. And we that's why I was very reluctant to have this conversation because it's, it's exactly what they want. Us going, oh, let's have a debate about patchy. Let's let's have a debate about you know the the, the obscure ends of some lefty uh, aspects of our approach to patriotism. Of course, that's what they want. And God, they really, really want us calling them flag shaggers, and they really, really want us sounding like uh, we've gone completely over the loop about this. Because my God, isn't that better for them than us actually examining the really important and the real stuff they're doing? Firstly, one of the reasons I wanted to discuss it is because this is about hijacking uh, notions of patriotism for a um, for what is a, a cultural war wedge issue. I think um, I think James is being very kind on them to think that it was uh, uh, some sort of a clumsy attempt to keep the union together. It's a pure a, a really important thing fact to remember here is in two thousand and seven, Gordon Brown, when he was prime minister. Um, changed a rule that said that uh, restricted the number of days the union jack could fly from uh, government buildings from 18 days a year to as many days a year as people wanted right so the notion that there has been some um, prevention on public buildings uh, from flying the union flag jack whichever way you want to say it is, is pure ideological rhetoric from the conservative party and i think it's i think an important thing to to look at and say is this is again the, the hijacking of a national symbol for the pure political ends of the Conservative Party, just as in the 80s, 70s and 80s, the NF hijacked the Union Jack for its purposes, uh, not to completely ally the Tories with the National Front. They tend to have more expensive haircuts. Um, but that's that's what's happening here. And that's why it's worth talking about. because it's worth People say oh, we shouldn't talk about these cultural things because it's pure symbolism, right? But the weaponization of symbols is a really important thing because you look at it. That's how that's what politics is. That's how politics is working now. And on the and on the Labour side, you see a very ineffectual attempt to play the Tories on that same playing field by Keir Starmer. I mean, I'm, I'm I, 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 every day I keep expecting him to turn up on the news wearing a full Union Jack suit. Um, so craven and obvious are his attempts to try and. Um, counter the Tories with their same their own tactics and it won't work for him. Steve I'm going to come to you um, in a little bit but I can't help but think that if I'm wavering on the side of Scottish independence the UK government saying the Union Jack has got to be on the blown resplendently. It's nothing to do with that though is it? That's like a that's not it's nothing to do with that. I read that that was one of the key points of the the union unit. It's a case of keeping Scotland in the union. I know good wees will get government ministers to go up to Scotland and will tell them to wave the union jack from their buildings, which 
utterly counterproductive. Yeah, but, I, you're con- you're, but you're conflating two issues. The union unit exists because they think they need to do more things to try desperately to keep Scotland in the union. Mm-hmm. But the flag thing, the flag thing has been ratcheted up following um, Charlie State making a joke about Robert Jenrick's flag not being as big as some of the other ministers' flags on BBC Breakfast. And it follows then the the, the absolute press monstering of Charlie State's um, co-presenter Naga Manchetti, which is which is you know of course a racialized attack on a woman because they folk the the right wing press are far more focused on Naga than they have on Charlie when it comes to what was a joke about about uh, ministers waving the flag in a ludicrous way, and also you know c- c- goes to the notion of how the right constantly says the left can't take a joke when it is in fact the right who are the most sensitive about jokes and uh, language and symbols. Steve. I think if you want to think about Britishness, one of the very key aspects of it is the ability to laugh at ourselves. And uh, being British means that you can laugh at yourself. And uh, the government have turned it round into a position where if you laugh at them, then they can question your uh, Britishness just on the strength of it. It's their everlasting culture Good point. Uh, Steve O'Neill. Flags are, of course, a bit of a distraction or a bit of a culture war trap. But what the left needs to do is tell a story that, yes, is patriotic and, and can make the country feel like it has some kind of national solidarity together. And actually, I think take on the, the right and their kind of flag waving, waving very shallow nonsense. And as I say, tell a story that brings the country together and moves it forward. And I think that is what Keir Starmer was trying to do a little bit, but he, he's done a very shallow attempt. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't run away from it. I think I didn't tell us always pods about Britain, and that yeah, it's patriotic. Yeah, you see, I, I, I would agree. I would agree with you on that. That you do need to tell a story about about that. But again, and, and I think you're also right in saying that what he's done is shallow. My problem is that he keeps trying to tell the same story about patriotism as the Tories are, and and it, it, people don't will always see that as 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 illegitimate because it doesn't feel truthful you know it feels a bit like he's just saying yeah yeah me too me too i love the flag as much as they do i want to quickly throw this out to the americans on the panel uh eric gonna go come to you first how does this debate sound to you coming from the proudly flag-waving country that is the united states well i'm looking up and down my street in chelsea in new york city and there is one flag a rainbow flag on the church no American flags in sight. What this conversation reminds me of is when George H.W. Bush was running for president um, and said that the that Democrats didn't say Pledge of Allegiance at every event. And he stood in front of uh, uh, American flags and said the Pledge of Allegiance and said that the, the, the Democrats weren't patriotic. And then as soon as he was elected, you never heard another word about it again. It's the same kind of patriotic bullshit that goes on here. It's, it sounds like, I think as Emma said, they're, they're, uh, uh, or it was Nick, that this is a way of avoiding dealing with the real issues, um, to stand behind the flag. I, I've always admired the UK for not being flag-focused and not being nationalistic. So I, I, there are times to wave a flag when you've been sworn in as a new citizen, July 4th and some other occasions, but otherwise uh, I, I see no, no purpose for rallying around the flag. Clint Losey. Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say it reminds me of kind of the post-9-11, very much the George W. Bush um, era, and particularly when you could see uh, Republican officials on stage wearing triple flag pins just to prove it. 
Um, you know, the kind of thing that makes me think, of, I mean, the, the Democrats have never been really good at uh, demonstrating patriotism in the way through flags and through flag waving and, and, and all that. It's just something that has always been, you know, basically a politically we political weakness for them. Um, and just kind of goes to show that the, the Republicans are so much more attuned to effective messaging on every level. Uh, I mean, including on, you know, what is basically a, a political emotional level. Um, and, and I kind of think that that just goes, I, I mean, I think, I think the Democrats are, are a little more hesitant because they're a little bit less comfortable with some of the, um, you know, failures of U.S. history, kind of the inequities that still exist. Um, and the Republicans are much more willing to imagine that, uh, home of the free and, you know, land of equality is, is absolutely true when the, the Democrats are a little less comfortable with, uh, with the unreality that, uh, that is. Um, Dan, um, I'm going to let you have maybe, uh, one of the last comments on this, if not the last comment. Um, how does this debate play out to you? Uh, you know, situated where you are, I believe you said you're in uh, St. Louis in Missouri. Um, in Britain, we are much less likely to overtly wave the flag. Uh, you will hardly ever, if ever, see a home with a, a with the Union flag uh, up a, up a flagpole outside of it. How does this sound to you from where you are in Missouri? Thank you for the question. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, but for the last 10 years, I've been here in Los Angeles. You know, I don't find political conversations that they really help build friendships. If we were more focused on tone and truly trying to understand one another and trying to actually build real relationship and friendship, a lot of this stuff would just kind of dissolve. And again, being a pro-gun guy, would we even need them if we were just kind to each other? So to me, it's not a big deal. I know some people freak out at sports events. I know other people, I see them tying flags to the back of their trucks and they're driving around and they look like crazy people. I think all this stuff doesn't matter. I think kindness, humility, authenticity, being genuine, coming at every interaction, every conversation, it's not left or right, black or white, Asian or Martian. We're just people. We're all floating on one rock through space together. Big asteroid comes, it kills us all the same, you know. So, last point I'll say on all this stuff is, uh, thank you uh, for that lovely uh, end to our flag waving bit of the show. Very, very quickly, we literally only have about two more minutes before the end of the show. So, I'm going to quickly come to everybody who's on stage and say, what have you done in the last week that you can recommend? to us all could be uh maybe you've planted something nice in your garden maybe you've read something watched something on tv but you've literally only got 15 seconds each uh mike holden during lockdown i've been doing a fair bit of uh i, I began a woodworking hobby and uh this week i made a couple of garden chairs that are going to be sitting out in the sun uh hopefully in a couple of weeks time when other people will be able to sit out in the sun fantastic so Get out your carpentry tools uh, is uh, Mike Holden's advice. Eric Marcus. Um, I just started watching uh, Unorthodoxed, the, uh, um, uh, the Netflix series, and I was drawn in immediately. And as you know, Rory Field, I go to bed early. Um, I stayed up until 11 and watched three episodes. 
Good heavens. It must have been utterly riveting then. Uh, Once. Steve O'Neill. I've been listening to Jonathan Richman and the Modern Lovers listening to them. They're still good. Thank you, Mick. Steve O'Neill. Uh, I haven't done it yet, but tomorrow I've taken a day off. First one for ages because I've got nowhere to go. I'm going to have a day sat in front of the TV playing video games. And I'll probably try and watch Justice League. James? Um, yeah, I've been I've been outside. The weather's starting to, to improve. Spring is upon us, so I've been doing um, jobs outside and enjoying it. So that's your recommendation. Get outside in the sun. Absolutely. Uh, Clint Losey. He's going to be another fancy bakery. Uh, no, there are, there are many fancy bakeries, but uh, this week I have to say I'm pretty excited that uh, Netflix just dropped a trailer for a documentary that's coming in April. It's called This is a Robbery. It's a documentary about the heist of the uh, Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. Um, it's one of my favorite museums, and it's definitely my favorite heist. So I'm looking forward to watching that. Emma, do we have you? You do, but you've only got seconds because I'm supposed to be on a birthday chop, party Chop, chop, then. Go. I've already told you I joined the book group. That bit wasn't on the edit, but now that bit is. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and Dan, as our new best friend, our gun rights uh, advocate in LA, who is from St. Louis, Missouri. Why don't you have the last word? Tell us something, sir, which you've done in the last week, or which you think can inspire, give us joy, or possibly we could learn something from. Absolutely. How about just work a little less? It's not worth it if you're not healthy, right? Take a break, take a rest. Wise words. That's been us, folks. That's It's been a mid-Atlantic well, it got, it got a little bit contentious, but uh, we always like to uh, hear the voices of people that don't come from our orthodox left of centre point of view. So we welcome you, Dan. You stood your ground. You made some very fine points. This is Mid-Atlantic, the podcast where we look at news and the views one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Not all of us are lefties. Most of us are. But we always say that left of centre politics is right politics, but... We want to encourage and have debate. Uh, you can catch us on Clubhouse, same time, same place, every week, where we'll kind of have our band of roving pundits commenting on all things on both sides of the Atlantic. If you haven't heard us before, go on to our go on to midatlanticshow.com and you'll get a whole plethora of shows, seven years worth of us discussing all things to do with the US and the UK. Take care. See you next week. If you're not already part of our club uh, on Clubhouse, sorry, please join Mid-Atlantic and you'll get an alert when we will be going live. Take care. Look after yourselves. Be good. Tati bye. Ta-ra. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 